welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor Guerra. Marler, I was going to ask you if you were still hungover from the wedding that you were at. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you about that. That'd be a mean co-host would do that. So I'm not going to ask you about that. Instead, I'm going to say with confidence that I think everything that comes out of our mouths today will be better than anything the Houston Astros have said in the last week. Is that fair? Uh, you know, I was I was going to text you about this because I, I think we should talk about it because it, it involves sports. And you know what? Alex Bregman played at LSU. So there's your SEC tie-in. Boom. And I'm sure there's, and I'm not, I'm not calling out LSU by any means on this, but like, what a debacle. What an absolute debacle. Just admit you cheated. And I think they should take the, I'll just say it because I, I, I'm not sure if you will or not. They should take away the World Series title. The fact that Rob Manfred said it's just a piece of metal and that trophy is literally called the Commissioner's Trophy. It's it's it makes me no wonder people hate baseball. It's awful. As people who grew up on baseball, is isn't this so depressing? Yeah, like we're talking about it, we're interested, but for for all the wrong reasons. And it just like I I had one tweet, literally one tweet about this entire thing, just because it is such a big story, and we're we're talking about it right now because it's so big. But you know, I compared it a little bit to the SMU stuff back in the day where. You're just blatantly cheating and you're doing it in a way that's so egregious that you don't necessarily care what no. the consequences are. And why should they care what the consequences are? Because the players, yeah, they might have some endorsement, you know, their, their endorsement deals might hurt a little bit from this, but they still got to win that title. They still got to celebrate it like they want it. And what does it really do to take away a piece of metal or a banner or, or yeah. whatever when all that stuff happened? You're not, you're not taking away the rings, and you're not gonna you're not gonna take away their personal rings. And then be like, we're gonna. I like like Colin McHugh is a buddy of mine, and and I, I you know we haven't spoken about it because I don't know how to necessarily bring it up. And but it, here's it's how you bring it up: text him all caps. You cheater! How he, could see, you? He didn't cheat though. I got I I, I love Allegedly. Colin. Colin, yeah, Colin's not like he's not on that on that. Uh, he's not a part of that. But like though, no, there's the thing about like listen, like I played baseball, and and this is the the, the biggest. But blows my mind, like it's it's somehow so a misconception of there's a difference between stealing signs as a player, yes, and stealing signs as illegally, like, yeah, like oh we're just like and li- listen, it, Major League Baseball should have known that something like this was going to happen, and when you condone the use of steroids and other people that actually cheat individually with their bodies for years and years and years, and you're too scared to like put any kind of I don't know restrictions on it because it's at least it's good for the sport. It makes it exciting. Y- yeah, you were kind of asking for this, but this is as a whole. This is just handled so badly. And I tell you what, if the one thing that gets gets like done from all this is Pete Rose gets into the Hall of Fame, I would eh, almost I be okay with that, that because it's like I'm sure I'm sure you don't. But do one good thing. Just do one good thing from all this. If you're not going to punish the players, if you're not going to punish the team, maybe do one good thing. And and a guy that that didn't do anything this egregious. Maybe put him in the Hall of Fame. Stop being idiots. And also, well, while we're at it, kick the guy out of the the effing Hall of Fame uh, voting who who didn't have Jeter on his unanimous ballot. That guy. That's your other good thing. I'm How many other soapboxes. baseball soapboxes you got? You got <laughs> Just right I now. hate like like I played baseball throughout college, and I can tell you right now, it's so boring, and it's it's there's no wonder why it's moved behind basketball as one of the favorite sports because it, and they continuously screw it up. Shout out to Chris Gordy, who is just trying to fight off. I love Chris Gordy, and I'm sorry you're mad, yeah. (laughs) Sorry, Chris Gordy. This is going to be a rough, rough listen for you. Um, Um, We we are not going to talk about baseball for the majority of this podcast, believe it or not. We just recorded a great interview with Alyssa Lang, SEC Network. First time we've ever had her on. She was fantastic. Got into some... It's just kind of some wide-ranging stuff about, you know, her career and talking about... Nickelback. 
Nickelback. I mean, goodness gracious, we went all over the place uh, with her. So that was that was a lot of fun getting to kind of dig into to, to some of that stuff. And we have SEC basketball stuff as well because, yeah. believe it or not, I came up with a list as somebody who's been late to the basketball party because you know we've been consumed by football. I've been I haven't been shy about that. I came up with five things I think I know about SEC basketball. You start off small. I, I can't wait till you get up. back on board on this. this is like, I'm on board, but not like on board to the way yeah. I usually am in March, which like that's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair. fair. And the majority of my of my duties and responsibilities are football-related. Football, yeah. That's that's what I'm asked to write about. Adam Spencer crushes it for yeah. us with all the basketball stuff. So thankfully, well, I don't have to necessarily all of a sudden, like when, once January starts, I start writing about hoops. Yeah. He's got that taken care of. I will start writing a lot more hoop stuff. I, but I have to do that now. I have a weekly hoops article I have to write. You do? Big about, time. Yeah, but it's like specifically about gambling. And my favorite my favorite thing is, and I, you know what? Wedding, or Valentine's Day is over, so I'm going to say a couple of things on the podcast to just get off my chest here. Oh, boy. Um. And, and, and like, most of you are going to feel the love, but there's going to be one, a couple of people that don't feel the love, I guess. And that one person that's not going to feel the love is the guy that responded to my betting trends articles. These are trends in betting. They're not betting trends. Okay. Anyway, Assistant I, to the regional manager. Yeah. I was like, what are you talking about, dude? Sure. Absolutely. I hope everyone had a great weekend. <laughs> Yeah, so Marler is, is is writing about all things SEC basketball. He will you will keep me on my toes. You're gonna correct yeah. me if if this list of five that I have is ultimately <laughs> not even five and it's Wrong. more like two or three. Um, we're gonna talk a little bit about Will Muschamp as well. Just big picture what he's gonna have to do to save his job because it's inevitable. He's already on every hot seat list going into 2020. Kind of just wanted to talk about some of the things that South Carolina has had go on in the last. Uh, you know, a month or so that has been somewhat relevant. We talked to South Carolina stuff a lot with Alyssa, too, because of her roots in Columbia as well. So this is South Carolina heavy pod. And then before we get to all of that, though, we have some stuff that I think I'm just going to say it. It's a power two in Clemson now. It's a power two in Clemson. The Mel Tucker news and the way that everything unfolded, that unfolded middle of last week, kind of shed some light on this power dynamic and this imbalance that is currently going on with the Big Ten and the SEC. So in case for whatever reason you haven't seen it, I realize this this story is is a week old, so I'm not going to dig into a ton of Mel Tucker stuff, the former Georgia defensive coordinator who was at Colorado for a year. But basically Michigan State hired the Colorado coach after he turned them down initially. Um, Apparently Saban even had a a part in pushing Michigan State to be like, hey, you should definitely go back to him and offer him more money. He's worth it. They, they essentially, Michigan State, looked at Brett Bielema despite his really good record at Wisconsin and yeah. said, eh, no, we, we're not going to go with you. Um, what changed for Mel Tucker? Well, obviously, you know by now the money changed. And Bruce Feldman reported that Michigan State doubled the salary pool for his assistance at Michigan State. And he is now making five and a half million bucks at Michigan State compared to $2.7 million last year at Colorado, where, again, he went Five and seven. Fifteen months ago, he was making one and a half, one point five million dollars as Georgia's defensive coordinator, and as Darren Ravel, who I dunked on hard like yeah. a week and a half ago, um, as he outlined, his salary rose nine hundred forty percent in the last six years. Now, alternate headline. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, I know I've been getting a lot of a lot of crap from Mississippi State fans the last week and a half, but go back and look at that tweet about KJ Costello and tell me that I that I just hate Mississippi State. Obviously, um, yeah. so all this happened despite the fact that Michigan State is still, you know, basically ch- like 
just gave four four point three million dollars to Mark D'Antonio for this retention bonus that we, we've talked about. <laughs> Mike D'Antonio. Uh, they could have NCAA shanks, sanctions coming. There is a major talent disparity in East Lansing right now, and it is yeah. really going to show in 2020, probably 2021 as well. Yet Michigan State still went out and dropped that kind of cash on a head coach who, again, went 5-7 and seven last year. He is going to make more money next year than any Pac-12 coach made Last year, twelve no highest coach, coach, twelfth highest paid coach in all of college football. Yeah, he's again five five career wins. There's only one other coach that I've ever heard of to get a a, a increase in pay after winning five games, and that coach did it over two years instead of one. And that's our good buddy Gene Chizik. That's like Ooh, it, th- that's a magic number. I've, ne- I've never heard of that before. I think, as you said. It, the power two in Clemson, I'm fully on board with. I think the ACC will have a little bit of a resurgence with Mac Brown, what Florida State will be able to do. You know, I love me some Georgia Tech. The ACC network contract is really what's going to allow yeah. them to get this, you know, the revenue distribution. And that's really been what's holding back the, the Big 12 and, and the Pac 12 with this. This we, we talked about it last week, or I think it was two, maybe it was two weeks ago, with the, the SEC rolling in cash and yeah. you know, averaging $45 million for the 2018 2019 school year compared to the Big 12 getting $36 million a year, the ACC $29.5 million. And the Pac-12 is also, you know, sitting there at 29 million. Meanwhile, the Big Ten had 54 million dollars per, um, per the, for the 12 member schools that were, you know, most entrenched in the conference. Not Maryland, not Rutgers. That was last year. So yeah. this year, that number is only going to increase. I bring up all of this because you just look at this and the dynamics that this is working, where you have seen now twice in the last month where the Pac-12 has lost a coach to the Big Ten in the SEC. Both of those coaches, Mike Leach being the other one, getting paid at least $5 million a year when, again, no Pac-12 coach made $5 million bucks last year. It's How's wild. Possible? 10 of the top 14 highest paid coaches in 2019 were from the SEC in the Big Ten. Two of them were from Northwestern and Purdue. That's Hold where on, we're that at. Is, see, that, okay, and that is stupid. And and you know Lovey Smith's about to get paid unless he already got paid. Eh, he kind of was already getting paid and was already at five million bucks. But the way that his deal broke down, it's not. Yeah. Qu- he doesn't have quite like a Mark Stoops type deal, but it was it, kind of some similar so, incentives put in place. There's four coaches that are not from the SEC or the Big Ten that are getting the highest paid, right? Yes. At Ten of the four, top fourteen. Can I guess real quick? Brian. Ooh, I don't Kelly, know off the top of my head, but we could probably guess. Brian Kelly, Tom Herman, Dabo Sweeney. Lincoln Riley. Lincoln, Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley, yeah, there you go. Um, so all of this, you know, you, you could look at those two situations and you could say, well, you know, these two teams just kind of overpaid after they whiffed on their respective head coaching searches. The, the issue is that Mississippi State, as we know, had that buyout with Joe Moorhead, which wasn't cheap. It was upwards it was 10 million bucks. Yeah. That ultimately, you know, you still have to pay, and they whiffed on their first round of coaches. And then Mizzou, actually, you know, a lot of people were wondering what in the world was going on with Jim Sterk and his coaching search. And they whiffed on that first round of coaches. And then it looks like an overpay to give Eli Drinkwitz four million bucks a year. So <laughs> The crazy thing is that money right there that I just talked about with Mizzou is only six hundred twenty-five grand less than what Chris Peterson made at Washington last year. <laughs> like, if you don't think 
that there is a some sort of disparity right now. You're just you're absolutely blind in the way that you're looking at this because the imbalance with the money is now impacting this in a way that we have never seen before because the imbalance has never been greater than it is right now. And the NCAA just pretends like it doesn't exist. All right, I'll, and I'll tell you this because a lot of you guys don't understand anything when it comes to Pac-12 athletics. And as someone that has spent just so much time on campus at, at Cal, Berkeley, um, and been on the West Coast, I get it. No, and I'm saying that in tongue-in-cheek completely. But the only thing I could think of, the only thing I could think of as to why they would not pay more, because... They can't! So, so they can't because they don't... Like, the Pac-12 network sucks. Like, the, Pac- the Pac-12 network flat-out sucks. The only thing it's really good for, in my opinion, is gambling on basketball and women's basketball. That's a whole separate thing. We'll get into that later. But I tell you what, man, in the SEC, yeah, I don't really want to watch a game at Mizzou or at Vandy. Sorry to those two schools. But in the Pac-12, like, I've, I've literally been on that field at Cal a couple weeks ago. And it's a dump. It's, 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 it's just a lower bowl stadium that has nothing unique about it besides some trees in the background. That's about it. Like, these other schools in the, in the Pac-12, USC, Washington, Oregon, if you're telling me that they can't they can't afford to pay a coach, UCLA, like these these are like somewhat tradition rich schools, they can't afford to pay a coach five million dollars. USC wouldn't go out and pay someone five million after Clay Helton was just under scrutiny for an entire year. What like USC will after this USC year? Will, after I bet this they year, will. Which is yeah. again stupid because think about all the people they they swung and missed on this year, and unless they get Urban Meyer, I think that's considered a a a losing effort on your coaching search for next year. But regardless, the one thing I will say about the Pac-12 that is different than anything else in the SEC, and, and I know the SEC will probably fight me on this, or SEC fans will fight me on this, because of especially with base, baseball, but the Pac-12 has that whole motto about like it's a conference of champions. There are Thanks so many Walton. other there are, there are so many other sports that are important and they focus on out and, and they and they win champions and championships in in the Pac-12 that aren't exactly football. And I think it's maybe become this kind of like, from top to bottom, this this kind of look like, you know, because they're, they're falling behind in this arms race of of like who who really is most relevant. Massively. And, and impact, yeah, it's bad. And it's, it's, it's almost like it's like this exponential amount year over year of how much further they're falling behind than like the other programs, especially the SEC. But I wonder if it's something where they're like, you know what? Like we're gonna just be stubborn and cling on to. Well, we we win championships in other other sports. That's why we're not gonna put all of our focus on just football, like like other conferences. I, that's the only thing I can think of of why they wouldn't do this because this is embarrassing. I, I get that, and we'd be having a different conversation if the Pac-12 had, let's say, had a team in the playoff in the last three years, had a team finish in the top ten in the recruiting rankings. But they don't do that either, and so well, that's that the issue. Year. Oregon's the top top ten. Twelve. No way. 12. Yeah, look, you look at, brother. Look, look it up right now, brother. Uh, <laughs> that, that to me, is is the issue. And, yeah, I, I get You know, Oregon's – we think Oregon's going to be really good next year. They just won a Rose Bowl. They're good. But this is the issue with the conference and why these dynamics are in play. This is so significant. And so when you see those headlines in the offseason, like when you see the Big Ten has negotiated a, a deal with ESPN and Fox for $2.6 billion for their for their rights, this is why that stuff matters. Because had Michigan State said, you know what, 
we don't have the money. We just can't afford to pay anybody. We just paid this $4.3 million retention bonus to Mark D'Antonio. Yeah. We feel like we're, you know, we're going to be strapped financially with these NCAA sanctions that are coming in. If they had said, you know what, we're just going to try and hire the, you know, 2.5 million, which we're going to get some random group of five person to, to come and take this job, then fine. Maybe we're not having this conversation. But the fact that they were still financially able to circle back and say, you know what? We don't care that Mel Tucker just told everybody at Colorado that he's yeah. committed to the program and that there's no transfer portal in the real world. We don't care. We're going to make him an offer that he can't refuse because this is what we have right now. If we're Michigan State, we have a chip that Colorado does not have to play. And that, to me, is changing college sports as we know it so much so. I mean, think about yeah. it. The SEC, the, the, the Pac-12 has had two coaches leave for Power 5 jobs outside of the Pac-12 in the last month. The SEC had that happen after Lane Kiffin did it in 2010, January 12, 2010, when he goes from Tennessee to USC. That happened once in the SEC, and it was James Franklin going from Vandy to Penn State. That's it. And in both places they left to were arguably better places. Like, I mean, and the other one, Kiffin is from the West Coast. And you know, I think I think everyone thought that that was like a, a no brainer to do to, for both those. I don't. You can't say the same for these. I, like, I mean, or, Oregon has Willie Taggart leave from you know going to Oregon to, yeah. to Florida State. Even that. That's if there's thing any place happening. in the Pac-12 or any other place in the country that you would think like unlimited resources, this is a perfect place to go. It would be Oregon. Yeah. I mean, I I, I don't know. I, I think. It's 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 frustrating, I think, to watch. Like, I mean, I have this conversation with my fiance all the time, and she's just like, "This is a joke." Like, this is like, like, like USC finished two spots below Oregon State in recruiting this year. Like, how does that? How what is happening across the board besides maybe at Oregon, who won a Rose Bowl this year? Like, what is happening everywhere else in this in this conference or outside of these other two conferences? Like you said, where where this could be this much of a drop-off. And I, I, I will say, the Mel Tucker thing, I personally, I, I, I'm never going to meet Mel Tucker, I wouldn't think, anytime soon. I owe him an apology from my reaction to this because I, at first, when I saw it, you know, the first thing that some, jumped out to me was that quote about there's no transfer report in the real world. And I was like, wow, that's a lot coming from a guy that's had three different jobs in the last three years. Like, that seems a little bit unfair. And and you guys know that my stance on with anything involving the players and, and making the, like, you know... Just, just being able to kind of make some some advances, I think, for them and, and what they're they're yeah. Able those to get. players should be eligible to play immediately right. if they want to transfer. Right. All those things, yeah. For but sure. the same thing, I think the best point that was made, and I was wrong when I initially thought this was, yeah, man. If somebody came to me like today and was like, "Here's this opportunity," it's hard for you to say like, "Yeah, if they're going to double my salary, I'm going to be like the top 15 paid, whatever." Like, and this is a better opportunity. How do you turn that down? I'm just surprised to think that, like, and somebody like me that's grown up watching this sport for the last 37 years, I'm still in the in the camp that's like, yeah, I know Michigan State's been good at times. They've been to a playoff and all that kind of stuff. They're a rough they spot got their, right now. They got their brains beat in in that playoff, so I, I get that argument. But at the same time, like, in my opinion, Colorado has had a much better Colorado's won a national championship since I've been watching college football. They've <laughs> won a national championship in the past 30 years. Like, I, I know it's a shared one, but like. It, it kind of blows my mind that that's the state of that program, that it'd be so easy to leave to go to a place that, that is literally in the same division as the top three teams in the conference with Penn State, Michigan, and, and, and Ohio State. It ultimately comes down to this. 
And if you are Mel Tucker looking at this situation, besides the obvious personal financial gain that comes mm-hmm. with that and saying, I'm going to be able to set up my family for life. And like I said, $1.5 million that he made as the Georgia defensive coordinator in the 2018 season. That wasn't that long ago. Now we're talking about life-changing money. It's not just that. And I can't remember who threw this out there, but it was it's a really good point. If you tell me as a coach that I have budget X, to be able to hire my assistants and build my staff around me. I think, all right, that's good, that's great. If you tell me at a different place that I can double that budget to go out and hire the best coordinators possible, uh, surround myself with the best possible staff, recruiters, all those different things, you say to yourself all of a sudden, oh, well I can do some different things with that. And it's the ability to say, I can win a national championship with these types of resources working in my favor, as opposed to, what is at stake at Colorado and what necess- what those resources are. That's what we say all the time, why programs, certain programs have a ceiling. If you yep. are at Wisconsin, you have a ceiling. As long as you are going to continue to not necessarily you spend shouldn't. above and beyond, it, you have the, you know, and you look at what you have from an in-state recruiting standpoint, you're not necessarily willing to go bend over backwards to pay your assistants these ridiculous rates, and that's been a big topic of conversation throughout the 2010s in Madison, yeah, you're going to limit your ceiling. But if you're willing to say, no, we're going to take this to the next level. We're going to make sure that this is not the thing that holds us back. And you have that income because of these revenue distributions. It changes everything. And the revenue distributions, that's the biggest thing I think people don't understand. Because this isn't a money grab from Mel Tucker, which, again, it would still be, I don't want to say excusable, but understandable if he did. Because it is life-changing money. Like, I tell you what, man, every time I look at my monthly income versus my fiance's, I'm like, Jesus, I can't imagine if that was what I was taking in. Like, it's just like, what is that? So I, I get it from that standpoint from, from Mel Tucker. But like the, the point that you said, it's not like, hey, we're going to pay you this versus we're going to we're going to pay you this. And on top of that, this is what you can go out and lure other coaches That's in big. with. And this is also the money we're going to take in as a university because of the conference we're in, the TV the TV contracts that we have, so we can go ahead and give back to stuff like in, like facilities and, and all this other stuff and make this place like a desirable place. Plus, look at your hand, bro. You can just tell people that you're recruiting based on where you are in your hand where they have to travel to. That's so cool. easy. No other state can do that. Michigan, I, I will always maintain, is the Alabama of the North. But, I mean, yeah, other than that, I think it's a great place, a great re- recruiting tool. It's not changing anytime soon. That's no, the thing. Is that this disparity, it's just going to continue to get wider. And it's not like all of a sudden the Pac-12. I'm not going to bet on the Pac-12 to make this resurgence where the Pac-12 is going to have <laughs> five teams finish in the top 15 of the AP top 25. Like, no Dude, way. No if way. If you can't separate yourselves and that, I'll say it, we'll blank it out. If that of a conference, then if you can't do it now, why are you going to be able to do it later? And if, look again, if you're, if you're Clay Helton at, at USC, I keep wanting to call him Todd Helton. Because that would be a better coach than I think Clay Helton. Very true. But like, if you're Clay Helton at USC, you can't and, and you can't separate yourselves. And then after the bad year where you're fighting for your job and under all the scrutiny, you go out and take in what like the 58th best recruiting class in the country as USC. How's that possible? Like, I, I don't. I just and I tell you what, we talked about this. We talked about this before, and I've said this with Arkansas. I've said it with Mississippi State, and I said it when Brett Belima, Brett Bielema left uh, Wisconsin to go to Arkansas, and I said how stupid that was in my opinion because in at Wisconsin, if you're in that division of the Big Twelve or Big Ten especially, you don't have to play Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, like even Michigan State, I guess, every single year because they're not in your division. Like you don't have to, you don't have 
those three teams on your schedule like Mel Tucker's going to have as a Michigan State head coach. For him to leave and go to the Western Division of the SEC was crazy to me because, like, you talk about a ceiling of your head, that seems like there'd be a ceiling. But if now we're seeing Mel Tucker do it in, in like, a, in, in a conference that's, that's so bad, even though it's a Power 5 conference, as, as the Pac-12, to leave and go go automatically maybe face recruiting sanctions or other sanctions as a program and then also have to be like look above you and be like oh there's Ohio State there's Michigan there's Penn State every year that why would why would you want to do that obviously there's some some reason yeah i said you know the the resources make you allow you to do more things i don't think Michigan State is necessarily going to do more things but as a coach and as right. a competitor your instinct is to say yes i can win with more money at stake i i said you know it's the power to plus clemson because you know it's turned into like a pac 12 kind of bashing and, and understandably so but like it, it is that Watch way mile. <laughs> it is that way as well just because the big 12 is yet to win a playoff game and the acc as we know outside of clemson right now is just not in, in good shape in terms of having a second contender there so i think would you rather live in boulder colorado or in east lansing michigan boulder boulder's beautiful man without a doubt boulder's i don't beautiful. understand yeah I, I just it's it's so there's obviously something up. Man, I, I there's more to that look. though. I don't, I'm not big on that on that on that whole question thing because that gets thrown around so much. Like I I remember a couple years ago and people just nonstop are talking about that with Scott Frost. It's like, would you rather live in Orlando or Lincoln? It's like, all right, well I've spent a lot of Lincoln. time in both of these places and Lincoln's actually Gross. not bad at all. You don't think like he's he's going out and riding. You know, he's he's going to Universal or going to Disney like every other day. Like yeah. he's, he's he's coach. He's he, has, he doesn't have any free time in his hands. Anyways, that's traded in my Saturn to drive around (laughs) Disney with for John Deere. Would Will Muschamp rather live in his lake house, his beautiful lake house, or anywhere else in the world? Um, I'm gonna guess that Will Muschamp wants to live in that lake house for a very long time. You talking about Lake Murray, man? Lake Murray just about a stone's throw from my parents' house. Let's move on to other stuff we don't know as much about. We talked about the Big Ten for 25 minutes. Eh, Not 25. It was Pac-12. It was a lot of Pac-12. And if if you guys don't like about don't like this content, just wait till we talk about the Nickelback stuff. Oh gosh. You just crapped all over my transition there into Will Muschamp stuff, which is what I was getting to right here. I want to talk about what Will Muschamp has to do to save his job to be in Columbia beyond 2020. Because we are going to see all these different things thrown out there in terms of a win total, what exactly it would look like for him to keep his job. I think there are a few factors at stake because I don't necessarily think it's just a win total. I'm not crazy on that because there are certain seasons that from a win total perspective are different than others. South Carolina won nine games in 20 in 2017. I'd argue that season and some of the wins that they had that year, a little bit more of a hollow season than what other nine win teams have been able to experience. You could even say like Kentucky and what they did with an eight win season with Lynn Bowden was different because of the quarterback situation, yeah. all those different things. So I think with Will Muschamp, as we look at him moving forward with this buyout of $13.2 million that's there if he is fired after this year. The Mike Bobo hire has to just work, and that's that's point blank. And I know that's a crazy sentence, and there are Georgia fans that just listen to me say that, and they're like, you're an idiot. But worth remembering that Georgia, dang it, Bobo. Georgia apparently made a play for Bobo as well, and it was ultimately South Carolina that, that won his services, and now he is taking over this offense. And Oh, by the way, Brian McClendon, he gone. Thomas Brown, he gone. You have these coaches that all of a sudden leave, three coaches at South Carolina that leave after signing day, which is bizarre. I mean, bizarre. Let's call it what it is. Um, I think that's that's the big thing that 
that ultimately has to just work and it has to be evident from the start. Because South Carolina, we've talked about this a lot with Jake Bentley and really, I mean, just the entire time that Muschamp has been a head coach is why can't his offense ever just overachieve? Why, why can't it? I know yeah. he's the defensive-minded guy, but why can't he ever just have the presence of mind to like hire the right offensive coach, put the right system in place, and just be able to, to have everything kind of working? He has struggled with that a lot, obviously. So that has to just work. Mike Bobo producing a top 40 offense is crazy, yeah, right? No. What? It's not crazy. Okay, it's not crazy. No, it's not crazy. Okay. Um. I mean, people people forget last year, like like having a top forty offense doesn't mean that you're one of the top forty teams. Even Auburn in, had a top forty country. offense last year. No, they didn't. They were like sixty something, I think. I think Auburn was top like, forty in scoring offense. Look it up right now. In score, okay, in scoring offense. I mean, in general, um, talk about yards gained. Don't talk about yards yeah, gained. Why not? Um, well, okay, because we're talking about scoring offense, that's points per game, right? They scored 14 on Alabama on their defense. That goes to their, towards their points per game. Yeah, yeah. So that's skewed. Um, so I would say... <laughs> I, <laughs> don't Those two plays, they skewed everything. <laughs> they skewed the entire season. And let me tell you something else about us landing on the moon. Um, no, I'm kidding. So, you know, the thing is, I think there's, there's some simple things that have to happen for Will Muschamp to keep his job. And I think that USC fans, and there's like a couple in particular that I think are bigger on the social media side that have like a good following that I'm, I like and I, and I enjoy. But some of their takes about Will Muschamp seem as far from reality as possible. Like, okay. if you, like Alyssa Lang is going to touch on it later. She says the, the, the same thing I've been saying for a couple of years now, which is I think that I think South Carolina fans got a little privileged or entitled or, you know, I'll say uppity about what their expectations should be for this program versus what they've been for their entire program history. And I, I know I say this a lot and people get mad at me for saying it. It's like, oh, so we should just accept mediocrity? No, you shouldn't accept mediocrity at all. But it's it's having a understanding of like, it's difficult to bring in. You know, here's a good point. You know how many top 10 players Clemson's brought in from the state in the past three years? Not many at all. Zero. Yeah. Z- like they, they, they haven't brought in any of the five stars in the state of South Carolina over the past, over the past three recruiting cycles, but they are able to sign six different five stars in this class alone because they have a huge national recruiting yep. like like spread. What Spurrier did, and I know that he left in terrible shape, what Spurrier was able to do, that was great. And and, and I'm not making an excuse at all for what Will Muschamp was able to do this or what he did this past year. I will say, like, going four and eight is never okay, but with that schedule that you had, what do you think was going to happen? Like, so, so moving forward to 2020, what can't happen this year, you can't lose, you can't start from behind, Okay. Like I, they don't play North Carolina, they open up with Coastal Carolina, which should be a win. But you can't start from behind and already get that narrative rolling. You have to have a good September. The only thing on their schedule I think would be acceptable to lose in September would be ugh, maybe Kentucky. And honestly, you got you you have to go, in my opinion, four and zero in September because you can't lose any of the games you're not supposed to lose, and you have to go out and at least win one game that you're not supposed to not supposed to win. Much like the Georgia thing last year, it doesn't have to be Georgia or a team that's ranked in the top three at the time, but not losing a game you're not supposed to lose to, getting to a bowl game and getting that one one win, you know, that would be unexpected from the fan base, that would be huge. Go out and beat a team like Clemson or, or Georgia or somebody like that. Or that won't happen. I was gonna say at LSU, but eh, you never know. Well that's that's the issue and that's that's the tough thing. And I feel for South Carolina fans because it, it is not a good spot to be necessarily as a fan no. to think that your program can only go so far and that your coach 
is not necessarily going to be the guy to take you to new heights. Once you feel like you've seen what the ceiling looks like for a coach, it's a really, really tough thing to move past. It's a bad feeling. It's it's frustrating, too, because 2017, the ceiling, like I said, a little bit hollow. If you go back and look at the the quality of victories, I mean, they still lost to Kentucky that season. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily this year where, you know, they weren't necessarily like what Kentucky was in 2018. You know, if you have that kind of year, it, it changes everything. But I think right now for South Carolina fans who are just sort of stuck in this purgatory and they look at the, the factors around the division, they look and they see Tennessee on the up and up, they look and they see stability at Kentucky, they see Georgia turning into a power, Clemson is already power, obviously. And that's that's the tough reality to just sit there and accept. So I, I understand where South Carolina fans are, are coming from. I, I think that you bring up a great point about the schedule because so much so for especially in the SEC I feel like the preseason regular season win total the over under that that Vegas sets for you is just such a, a such an important thing in terms of shaping expectations oh, I don't think it's yeah. all it's it's not always accurate obviously what in the world is South Carolina is going to be this year with this five and a half with this schedule F- probably five and a half but then you're thinking okay let's say this team goes six and six. What necessarily, because you could still go 6-6 six and six and then lose those last three games against FBS opponents, which, by the way, home against Georgia. I know you beat Georgia last year, but that's still a really tough game. you got to go to LSU, and you've got to go to Clemson. You can still theoretically get smashed those last three games, and then are you still just supposed to sit there, if you're Ray Tanner, at the end of the year and say, well, you know, you got us to six wins, and that's good enough for us to run it back and go to year six with you. And that, that's the toughest part. That's tough. not, I, I tell you what, he's going to have to do the opposite of Barry Odom this year. And, and what I mean by that mm. is you need to build up as much street cred as possible with this fan base and as many brownie points as you can possibly do in the first two months. I mean, like like a bear preparing for hibernation. You just need to be just just grabbing everything you can for, for good press. Salmon. Because, we, we, yeah, let's get it. I'm going to tell you what, brother, get you some salmon. Um, because there it is very realistic to go one and three in that November with Georgia, LSU, uh, Wofford, and then at Clemson. And oh, by the way, during that whole month, you don't have a week off, and on top of that, you got to go to two both Death Valleys. That's not easy. So when I say again, you cannot afford to lose any game that you're supposed to win, like Kentucky. And I I, I hate to even bring this up because I will fall into this trap every year and just assuming that South Carolina is going to beat Kentucky. I and wouldn't. I know Kentucky's beaten them five. I know you wouldn't. Um, Kentucky is, has beaten them five out of the past six seasons. But what I mean by that is, like, you're going to be favored most likely going to that game, whether it's right or wrong. You're going to be favored going to that game. You're probably going to... I mean, we'll see. Kentucky's got a ton of returning though. starters. They have a ton of returning starters yeah. coming back. I'd be surprised if South Carolina was favored going into Lexington. Really? Really. Oh, I want to take that bet right now. Um, 3-0 and uh, going into that game. After that Kentucky game, and, and we talked about this last year, how he gets so many opportunities for it to go sideways, and you and you have to avoid that because you lose to Kentucky, the the hat like the back half of that, you got Florida at Florida, you have Tennessee at home, you have a week off, and then you have Texas A and M. Those all three of those teams, besides maybe Florida, should be improved next year. For Will Muschamp, the best case realistic scenario, I think, is clinching bowl eligibility with that Vandy game on Halloween. That, if you're Will Muschamp, would yep. would clinch a six and two start, 
to where you're not necessarily going into you know the, that that month of November, that brutal month of November, having to clinch bowl eligibility. Because then what if you clinch bowl eligibility against Wofford? What's that really going to show your bosses? Because in the in the sandwiches in between all the other games, exactly. If, now again, if they lose those games, not not necessarily. There there are so many different ways that that can go too. That that's the tough thing right now as we sit here and we project this. I don't know necessarily looking at that schedule how many of those games that they would necessarily be favored in the SEC. I think a lot of those are kind of are a little bit coin flip right now. Like home at, at Tennessee is a little bit more of a coin flip, even though Tennessee could start Tennessee off in the top twenty five. Yeah. Probably going to be in the top twenty five. But you know, you just you you never know as we sit here and look at this. But yeah. what I feel like has to happen and it's along the lines of Bobo looking like a smart hire and something that could potentially save Will Muschamp's job is Ryan Holinsky looking like a top five quarterback in the SEC. If Ryan Holinsky takes that next step, obviously we're talking about this team in a much different light than what we talked about it yep. throughout the entire Will Muschamp era where how many times have we really thought, really thought that Jake Bentley is like a top five quarterback in the SEC? Maybe, oh, never. Probably never. I've, ne- maybe I've, a week never, or two I've time. never made that mistake. There were people, I'll, I'll say that right now. There were people going into the 2018 season. Go back and look at yeah. some of what, what oh, the narrative about him for that. So if Ryan Holinsky, if we're talking about him going into November at the, as a legitimate top five quarterback in the SEC, and obviously he has to come back from the knee surgery and look healthy, but he has to be able to make these steps in a new offense with Mike Bobo. That, to me, those are the two most important things outside of necessarily like Will Muschamp's direct control. And obviously, you need to be able to replace some key pieces on the defense, most notably Javon Kinlaw. If Jordan Birch looks like an all-ICC player in year one, maybe not necessarily. don't forget about Zach Pickens. Zach Pickens as well. All of a sudden, you have that five-star talent on the defensive line. It makes a difference. That obviously would help, too. But I just feel like the Bobo Holinsky thing, that's really got to work out for Muschamp to be there in 2021. And I tell you what, the one good thing I'll say about the schedule, and there's, I've already seen people say, like, Gamecocks already have top, the, the toughest schedule in the country for next year. Let me tell you just a little bit of silver lining on that, okay? Because it is going to be very tough. They do have to play a lot of teams that are projected to make bowl games next year, all that, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to exclude Kentucky ignorantly and, and say that they win that game. Okay, which is dumb, and I'm admitting it's dumb. Don't, don't hate me, Kentucky fans. For the sake of this argument for South Carolina fans, Let's say that they win that game, okay? A couple weeks when we talk about Kentucky, I'll say Kentucky wins the game, whatever. They play Florida, right? Do you know who Florida plays before and after they play South Carolina? Oh, is, is it a sleeper game? They've got Georgia after? Almost all of them. Almost all of them are, Connor. Okay. They've got at Tennessee, South Carolina, and then LSU at home. That's a perfect spot for South Carolina, especially if they somehow get to that game undefeated. Here's your Georgia matchup. Georgia plays them the week after they play Florida, and the week before they play Tennessee. So South Carolina's okay. gonna sneak up on all these teams, is what you're saying. You 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 never know. Tennessee. Yeah, no, let's not talk about Tennessee. Tennessee <laughs> plays Missouri. Um, okay, but like look for real. Uh LSU. LSU plays ten or plays South Carolina the week after Alabama, the week before they go at Auburn. Uh, and then last but not least, AM. AM plays them the week after they go to Auburn. So there's some spots. Oh, and Clemson. Clemson. Uh, doesn't seem to play anyone for the 11 weeks before they play South Carolina. So that'll be tough. That'll be a tough uh, tough out there. That's the ACC schedule at its finest. All right, you just broke down a lot of things, a lot of things South Carolina yeah. schedule. Oh, by the way, I, I saw your numbers on your stupid top 40 comment. Which numbers? 28th. 
Auburn's 28th in scoring offense. Exactly. 64th, 64th in total offense. Scoring offense is all that matters in my book. Uh, at least sure. at least it does today. And people are people are going to say, and we talked about this a little bit with Alyssa as well, of, well, who could South Carolina get? And I'm not necessarily saying that South Carolina has these these pockets as, as deep as, you know, Alabama and LSU and Georgia and all that. But at the same time, you look at those dollar figures that we just talked about. Yep. And yes, you've got that massive buyout to pay. But you know what? I kind of tend to think that South Carolina could still spend a pretty penny on a head coach. Just throwing that out there, that's going to be on the mind of you've Ray Tanner a, as well. You've got an entire recording studio in the football offices or in the football complex. So Barbershop. If you can afford that, you can afford maybe a new coach. There it is right there. That's the sell. You can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. <laughs> Five things that I think I know about SEC hoops in 2020. I, I'm, so I'm hoping I am hoping that I just get to like th- if I get to three or four, we're good. No chance. Okay. Number one, Florida fans are super angry about Mike White, and I don't blame them. I get it. Right. He is potential. Okay, good. That's one. One one check for Connor. Um I, I get that Mike White is probably going to end up with 20 wins for the sixth consecutive year. Or fifth consecutive year, my bad. And I, I I think that Florida is still, you know, as it, as it stands right now, number 10 in Joe Lenardi's bracketology, if you're a believer in that, whatever, but still in position to make the NCAA tournament, potentially get to the round of 32 and lose again like they've done the last two years. Oof. The issue, though, is as we talked about with Muschamp, it's expectations. It's relative to expectations. You start yeah. off number six in the country. You're picked to finish second in the SEC. You've got Kerry Blackshear six. coming in for, from Virginia Tech. You think you're in pretty good shape. And then was he, he the preseason All SEC Player of the Year? He was. He was. Yeah. So the issue is those expectations because we talked about that a lot when they got bounced out of the NCAA tournament last year. Of like, look, you know, the future is very, very bright. And this is a young yeah, wait team. Wait till next year. Yeah, young team. But as Adam Spencer has said before in this podcast, not everybody is able to win with all this young talent in the same way that 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 John Calipari does. It's just very, very different. Or Tom Crean. No, not the most relevant example. I did not include that in my five things that I think I know. Yeah, that's um, true. But I, I think that if Mike White ultimately doesn't live up to these expectations, which I think if you're a Florida fan, you're hoping just get to that second weekend, man. Like, you should be able to get to the second weekend with this team. Could Mike White be on the chopping block? A storyline that's not going away anytime soon. No, and nor should it. Nor should it. Number two thing. Number two thing that I think I know about SEC basketball. This is a little bit more personal. I don't know if you can call this wrong, but you can kind of steer me in the right direction if I am wrong. Like Admiral Schofield was last year, really the year before that too, Skyler Mays is my in-the-trenches guy. My guy that if I'm if I'm going to battle, I want to be in the trenches with him. The LSU senior guard who I, he had the buzzer beater against Mississippi State, everybody remembers. Just clutch. Oh, Seems- that's what you meant for in the in the trenches. Yeah, like your your guy that you yeah. want to go to battle with. I think that's yeah. Pretty- they won this weekend, right? They they had a big win. See, I didn't they had I didn't a big mention win that. In a game they were. Okay, I, I, I was just wondering. Oh, they've lost three of their last four, but he's had he's Did ever to a guy shooting free throws with one hand or not. <laughs> that happened with his opposite hand. I'll throw it out there. I mean, I'm just well, and, well, I I don't disagree with you, and I love this LSU lineup, but in the same way with Florida, it's like when are we going to see it consistent? When are we going to see consistently performing day in and day out? Like, like even the games they've been up big in, they've blown. Like, like, the, like, and I know it's on the road, and this is something I've harped on a lot when it comes to the SEC and like what I think separates the teams that are good in this conference and bad in this conference. Like, especially this season, 
and that's being able to win away from home because almost everyone we see has has done pretty well at home besides Vanderbilt, which is a whole other. Ah, but they beat LSU but at like, home. Who? Vandy beat LSU. Vanderbilt. Yeah, yeah, with a very good point. So, but I'm saying, I'm saying, like the stuff with with LSU, like you have a 16 point lead in the first half against Auburn. And you lose that game, and I know it's overtime, and Auburn's really tough to beat at home. Losing to Bama, and I know they were down early and were able to come fight back, but I mean, like, uh, there's just stuff that happens, and I'm just like, how? how? But that's almost how, a college basketball-wide thing this year, right? Where everybody's saying, and it's been especially relevant in the Big Ten, too, where the numbers are even more skewed. Home, yeah. home teams just dominate now, for whatever reason. That's been kind of the story of the year in, in college right. basketball. And if you're, if you're in the pro-LSU camp, which I kind of think I am, you're holding on to the belief that you have this veteran leadership in your backcourt with somebody like Skylar Mays, and you say, well, you know, they've played in all these close games. That kind of should bode well for them come March, you know, not necessarily having guys get tight. Who's going to be more comfortable in those tight moments than LSU? That's what I would tend to think, but I agree with you. That I like, it's like Auburn, just because Auburn's gone gone further. And, and I think that in the same way that we talk about Kentucky, Kentucky had a great one this weekend. If you were live betting Kentucky, if they were a ten and a half point favorite, and then you see them fall behind, so you just wait for a second, so you can just start. I mean, get into the odds where you want them. That would have been a great bet, okay? But like, what, what I'm, I, I, I look for is we we say it every year for for Kentucky is like we'll just wait, we'll just wait till around this time March when they turn it on, right? And and I think. Even now, like like if you can't dominate Ole Miss at home, that seems to be a problem. And I, Ole Miss has played better as of late, but I don't understand why. Like, when is this Kentucky team going to do what we think they're they're going to do or they're able to do? I just said Auburn would be that team to do it, and then honestly, foot and mouth. Like you saw, with it, I had a lot of money on them to beat just to beat Missouri. You can't go on the road and beat Missouri, yeah. like, and, and that, that's why I think it's important. You're right. Like I feel like besides every conference, besides besides the Pac-12. And the Big 12, it matters if you're at home. And, and the Big 12 is, is different because it's like actually good teams that are going away from home, like Kansas especially. They had that big win against West Virginia last week. But like, if you're if you're in the SEC and you're looking at these teams, it's like, man, you want to believe there are more than three three teams in this conference that could make the NCAA tournament and get to week, the second weekend, right? It's hard for me to really believe that when if you can't win away from home, like newsflash, guys, like none of these games are going to be played at home. People forget that. March Madness. People forget that. Uh, played on home courts. Um, I'm going to get to a little bit more on, on that in a minute. But I, I think I'm two for two so far, right? I wouldn't have said Trent for, Trenton. Uh, Trenton no, two Skylar for two. Mays, I wouldn't have said that. Skylar made one for two. He's not a, Okay. All right. That's a little bit personal preference. I'm going to still count that as two for two. Number three. I know you're agreeing with me on this one. Trenton Wofford is not very well liked in the state of Alabama. Kind of an obvious thing, but I'm right, right? Strong-ass opinion, Connor. Right? Very, very strong take after the reception that he received over the weekend where he got booed essentially every single time he touched the ball. Which is dumb from Bama fans, but I get it. it, it, Unfortunately, it happens in in college sports, and it's the nature of the beast. Somebody who is from Birmingham, his brother did a couple of good things at my alma mater. Um, Shout out Christian Wofford. Witnessed the greatest moment of his life, for sure, um, when he hit the shot against Kentucky. But... Um, if you're if you're sitting there, one of the guys saying that like, or you like, I saw this on Twitter, of course, and somebody was like, imagine leaving where you could have been a star at your in-state school and a legend at, at Alabama to go be just another guy at LSU. It's like, do you watch football recruiting? Do you understand what Bama's done 
at all? Do you understand how they got Damian Harris or a guy like that coach or whatever? Like, yeah, it's just stupid. It's just crazy. Yeah, had a new coach, and you know that that obviously changes things a little bit. But we weren't paying in, so so we'll see. <sighs> there it is. I was waiting for that comment to come up. Um, you know, he also spurned Indiana too, so maybe I should be the one who's really upset, and booing him every time he touches the ball in any yeah. game, not just against Alabama. So just throwing that out there. But I think that's that's three for three so far, right? Two for three. Go three on. Three for three. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Samir Doughty is not lacking confidence. Um, the Auburn guard, he plays with a swag that, I don't know if swag is, is even the best way to say it. It's just this, this overwhelming belief that, that he is going to be able to, to show his emotions at any, at any and all yeah. time in a given game, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But he is kind of the heart and soul of that team in that way. It's a little Steph Curry shimmy after he made that three against LSU, which not is not well either. I was uh, very disappointed. Steph in that. makes that look easier. It was easier. not the same swag. Yeah, not, yeah, not quite. I, I tell you what, I, and I'm not, I'm not saying this in a rude way, but I think that everything you're saying about Samir Doughty is spot on, specifically from the LSU game. Okay, like there were other games he's played in that you're like. Ey. True. He has been very hot as of late, and he has looked, he has backed up his confidence as well. Had that, that one-on-two drive against LSU yeah. where, I, I don't know to why. Tie it up. Well, yeah, big time to, to tie it up late in that game where he definitely should not have driven that game, but Need he has that. that kind of confidence, um, and that was obviously a huge play. He I, did the Nick Young thing, too, earlier in the year. I didn't realize that until I went back, and you know I'm sure a lot of people knew that, but um, the, the crossover that he had against Colgate where that guy just – fell basically and he yeah. does the the turnaround and open the arms up before it even goes in i kind of would that have liked was, it yeah. better if he had just continued to walk away and not look back at all but you know that's that's a different kind of like confidence exploding yeah. i will say that uh um austin wiley most recently in that alabama game last week i haven't seen someone dominate alabama like that since cam newton so that Whoa. was pretty impressive from the first half the other one i would say too emmanuel quickly from uh from Kentucky. He like and not always in a good way. Like I think there's times like this past weekend where it's like, all right, time to take over, bro. And he tried to, and then like you see him shoot a three, and it was like, you know, from my favorite basketball movie, Along Came Polly. And he's like, Let right. It's like if you're hitting the the top like corner of, of like the square on the backboard, but on the opposite side of the rim, that's not great, man. Nope. That is not great. That saying in LA fitness on Saturday, you can't be doing that. <laughs> all right, four for four. Um, number, <laughs> number five, this one's easy. I'm going to go five for five. This is a much different year than last year as it relates to March. And for yes. a lot of the points that you brought up earlier where, you know, I, going back last year, we talked about this a decent amount as we did our basketball specific podcast, but five teams in the SEC that were a five seed or better. Whereas this year, looking like maybe only five teams that are going to make the tournament in general, two of which could be Florida and Arkansas, who right now are sitting on double-digit seats. Awful. Not great, considering how much we said this was going to be a year that kind of turned the corner for the SEC. And and right now, if you're trying to pick a team to go furthest in the SEC, I mean, Auburn, Kentucky, and LSU are it, all of which, though, have their own issues. And whether or not they're a team that can actually string it together for – for four games to be able to to get to you know a, a final four or something like that, I I don't know. I just I, I don't necessarily see that. But that's kind of the I, case for college basketball this year. I'll tell you what's going to happen. And of course, this is from last week. But you have like the Ken Palm rankings, which are like you know usually pretty important. There's not a team in the top twenty-five from the SEC, which that's an issue. Oh, like, it's just not good. And and I take you look at quad one wins. 
Kentucky has the most. Uh, they had five. Um, obviously, the people behind them were Auburn and LSU. They didn't improve on that at all. There, There's a couple teams that I think – like, because I, I think what's going to happen is you look at I was high on Arkansas a couple weeks ago. They lost four in a row. Yeah, I said to Adam too. They're losing I said, at home. I said Musselman's going to win SEC Coach of the Year, and then Adam was like, "Uh, probably not." Yeah, and then he, baby. yeah, Adam sounded a lot smarter than I did on that. I mean, but see, the thing the thing is, like, I, I think the team like Arkansas and Florida, and, and I and I stand by this, and, and I won't say it with Kentucky because we all know Kentucky's going to lose to South Carolina in football next year. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but like Kentucky, what I will say about Kentucky is. I, that's the one team that I'll say, all right, look, maybe they're not a finished product. That's a team that could still put it all together or whatever. But I think for the most part, these teams are who we think they are. You know what I mean? We like let them off are, the hook. We let them off the hook. And, and there's there's teams that I think could still play better and make a run. But, but I tell you what, if I'm looking at the SEC basketball tournament, which is less than a month away now, um, there's the teams like Arkansas, teams like Florida, I fully expect them to lose to teams like a South Carolina, an Alabama, uh, maybe even a Tennessee or Mississippi State, somebody like that, because you've you've shown time and time again, especially away from home, you haven't you haven't been able to consistently put it together. I mean, look at Arkansas. Arkansas lost four in a row after going on the road and beating Bama. Like, how, like put it together. Like, I mean, I just I don't get it. So there's 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 a couple teams that I think are going to make the tournament that no one's really talking about right now, and I don't know why. And one of those teams is South Carolina, and I hate they were making Eight this. Four in the SEC right complete. now. And I tell you what, I brought this up last week. They're one of the four teams that have their winning record on the road, yeah. and it's not. They're not. They're the only team that's not one of those top three teams with Kentucky, LSU, Auburn, who were of course all tied last week for the number one spot. Um, they're six and three, I think, on the road right now. They just tr- just trounced Georgia uh, last week, which is a huge win. That's a team that has. Three potential quad one wins left on the schedule. They get LSU. They got to play Mississippi State twice, home and away. Um, they're at Bama. So there's a lot left for them there. LSU kind of scares me because they have three of their last six are on the road. They've already lost the first one on the road. Uh, they do get Kentucky next week. I, I think, in my opinion, Florida's done. Like they, they have looked up and down for most of the season. When you have a four-game stretch that includes Arkansas, LSU at Kentucky at Tennessee. I just don't see them getting any more than two wins out of that. Yeah. And I think they need it at this point. And I honestly, I thought Arkansas was going to be the team with how many wins they've already put on the schedule. Like, I think they have 16 wins. Like if you can get to 20 in, in a power five conference, that usually means you're going to go to the big dance. Like I, and I don't necessarily see if that's going to happen now, but it just doesn't we'll feel see. like it doesn't feel like we're going to have one of those games where every time Kentucky and Tennessee played last year, it just felt like yep. potential Final Four matchup. And I don't know if that's yeah. that's there in the SEC, if there's anything that can happen in this month leading into the conference tournaments, if that can really but change our, our opinions of that. I think it sucks, too, about it is that, like, especially, like, the first year of us doing the podcast, like, for, like, con- like consistently or seriously doing it last year, it was, we kind of had this whole, you know, arrogance and a lot of what our company's built off of is, like, just like kind of beating our chest. Bravado, we call it. Bravado. Bravado. But um, what what bothers me, I think, or what's that bothers me, what kind of sucks this year when you look at it is, man, like we just, I, you hate to say it, but I feel like we didn't even know how good we had it last year because it was like, yeah, okay, football's done, but we're going to go dominate another sport. Here we go. It's like this, you know, basketball, nobody gives us enough credit. And lo and behold, yeah, you do have these two teams that are in the top five at, at different points of the year or, or top 10 for most of the year with Tennessee and Kentucky. And you have a team like Auburn make the Final Four and kind of get hosed out of getting to the championship game. I don't think we're going to see that this year. Watch Auburn. Unless it's from Alabama. Now watch Auburn and LSU both make the Final Four or something like that. For real. Yeah. So, of my five things, how many of those were... Four. 
okay. You know, I'll take it. I'll take it. I won't fight you on the fifth one, although I think I'm, I'm five for I five. I thought you meant Admiral Schofield and Skylar Mays, the in-the-trenches guy. I thought you meant like as like... They play offensive like, line? No, yeah, exactly. I was like, man, this. Boy. I, I thought I thought you meant like a down low, like post player, like a four. No, or five, no, no. And, and, and I was like, does Connor know he doesn't play guard? No, he's he's like the Kyrie he Irving did. of the SEC. The way that the way that he can finish at the bucket. That's fair. There, there's some basketball breakdown for you. Um, all right, we're gonna have more basketball talk moving forward. I promise. I'm getting more into it. I really am. I find myself watching. I flip on SEC Network. Like, start gambling on it, dude. Oh, that, yeah, that's that's a different discussion for different um, time. Can we take? Can we do all of our basketball talk in the same way that Common did that hour and a half introduction no. last night for the NBA All Star Game? No. Good God! No. Shout out Chi Town, but no, we are not doing that anytime soon. Let's kick it to our interview with Alyssa Lang. Had a lot of fun um, just getting to talk about all things um, SEC Network and kind of what it's like, you know, from this that the view from the sideline, studio hosting, all those different things. Glad we were able to catch up with her for the first time and. Um, talk all, all things. I mean, really, really, we hit on a variety of topics. So here's our interview with Alyssa Lang. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is a first-time guest, in fact. It is SEC Network's Alyssa Lang. Um, Alyssa, before we dig into some stuff about your career, SEC football, SEC basketball, I've got to ask a very important question. So you've been on the front lines of this Chick-fil-A versus Popeye's chicken sandwich war. Um, I, I realize this debate is like six months old, but if you could explain to us and our listeners how you've done your research to be able to come up with your informed opinion. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm very honored that you're asking my opinion on this debate because I think it's a very important discussion to have when it comes to the landscape of fast food. But uh, my first <laughs> job was actually at Chick-fil-A. I, I worked at Chick-fil-A when I was 15. Uh, it was one of the few places that you could actually get a job um, before you were 16, I guess, uh, where I was growing up. So I worked there for a couple of years. So I feel like I'm very versed in Chick-fil-A and all the products they have to offer and all that stuff. But uh, I'm, I'm one of those people that I'll try anything twice, especially when it comes to food. So I'm, I'm always eating. I, I will say my sort of takeaway from the Chick-fil-A versus Popeye situation is I thought that the Popeye sandwich overall – was better it tasted delicious mm-hmm. i thought it was amazing but if i were having to eat like one a week i'd have to go chick-fil-a because once i ate the popeye sandwich like 10 minutes later i was like okay i feel ill and i can't do anything for the rest of the day but it was delicious i've had two but it's like it is a uh, it's an experience that's for sure Okay, you hit the nail on the head. I'm glad I, I'm glad that we asked you that because I wanted you to be able to explain it. You said that in, in better words than I could for sure. I, I'm always interested in, in kind of getting what a typical week looks like for, for people that work um, SEC, SEC Network type jobs, ESPN type jobs. I know you doing the studio stuff in Charlotte is is part of kind of your you know your regular responsibilities and you do sideline reporting as well. Paint paint a, a picture for us of kind of what your typical work week looks like or just what your work week what your work week looks like this week. Yeah, it obviously kind of varies by football season, but or by the season, excuse me, football, basketball, baseball, softball, but um, I was specifically hired to be a host for the SEC network, but I've gotten to do a little bit more than that since I started. So for example, this week, um, I use Sunday as sort of a prep day. 
um, hey, what what was the week that was? I make sure I'm all caught up on the men and women's side because I do both um, both sides for the SEC Network. And then Monday is usually a game prep day. Um, I spend all day today prepping for Tennessee Vanderbilt, which is the game that I will have tomorrow. So I fly out tonight. Uh, we've got shoot-arounds all day tomorrow. Uh, throughout the morning and the afternoon, we'll meet with our production staff, uh, make sure we have everything set for the game. I'm obviously doing – I do game prep, game prep all the way up to tip-off, kick-off, whatever it is. I feel like I always want to make sure I'm – up to date on what everybody's talking about, what players might be posting on social media, things like that. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty dialed in all the way up to the start of the game. And then um, our game broadcast will go off tomorrow night. I'll travel back Wednesday morning and then spend Wednesday afternoon uh, making sure that I am prepped and caught up on what's happening with the women's side because then I'm in studio Thursday evening for ladies' night. The majority of our weekly games are played on Thursday. So um, I'll make sure that I know everything that's been going on within the last 48 hours when I've been focused on the guys. Um, And we'll do Thursday night with the women. And then Friday is sort of another just big prep day for Saturday because I'm in studio all day for Saturday, kind of flipping back to the men. Um, So I spend Friday as my, you know, not forget about Thursday night, but kind of clear it out and open the next tab and and make sure I'm focused back on the guys. And it's just rinse and repeat really week to week. Uh, Now is when it gets exciting because you have baseball and softball that have just started back. So uh, mixed in with our basketball shows, we'll do a little bit of that. So now's the time of year where I kind of have to hit reset and refresh on what happened with baseball and softball last year and make sure that I'm, you know, prepped enough on that to make sure that I know uh, what's going on week to week when it comes to both sides. For that, so right now is our very, very busy crossover season. Obviously, for me, I, I would say four sports between um, the men and the women, and baseball, softball, basketball. So um, pretty similar for football, but obviously it's just a lot more prep days, a little bit more traveling, uh, and then a game every weekend. So uh, it, it's definitely, uh, I say, it beats working for a living. That's for sure, because I get to just do nothing but talk sports all week, which I feel very, very lucky to do. Jeez, I was going to say, you just consume sports 24-7. That's what it seems like. I mean, that is, that is a lot of stuff and a lot of different sports as well. I, I know that our our listeners, they see you on air all the time, but they don't necessarily know kind of the, the steps that it's taken to get to this point. Give us the background of your career arc and how you've gotten to this point on SEC Network. Yeah, so I, uh, I started in local TV. Um, I had a couple of odds and ends jobs and internships. Throughout college, um, I guess when I was in high school was when I realized, you know, I might not be too bad at talking to people and doing this. Like, maybe I could do this. Maybe I can make a job out of this. And uh, I kind of learned one day that there were people who got paid to cover sports. And I was always a huge, huge tomboy growing up, loved sports. So um, started really dialing in on what it would take to do that. I didn't really know anybody who was in this business, so I feel like I really was kind of crazy about making sure I was present for any job that could have come my way. So uh, I interned for the Speed Channel when I was like 17. I didn't really do too much. It was like an observational thing. And that was really my first kind of venture into what this business was like. And I loved it. It was great. And then uh, I went to college at South Carolina. I'm a game talk. Um, And then my sophomore year, I started working for the local CBS affiliate and uh, doing a little bit of everything. I ran the cameras, I scrolled the teleprompter. If there was 
a fire. I went out and got video of that. I made sure the made sure the anchors' microphones had batteries in them. Basically, anything they asked me to do, uh, that was what I did. And then, when I was a junior senior, I started doing more for our sports department, and I got very lucky because there happened to be uh, one of the sports anchors at the station that was moving on for another job, and at that point. I was pretty obnoxious as far as asking to cover things and turn stories and can I do this, can I do that? And I tell college students this all the time. I got my first actual job by literally just asking, hey, do you have anybody else who's going to do this? Because I'll try to make it work with my class schedule. And I got really lucky for having a boss that said, yeah, sure, why not? We'll we'll see how it goes. So uh, I started my senior year at South Carolina uh, balancing school and also doing the full-time sports at the local CBS station. So I would, I'd get done with class around one thirty, two o'clock, and then just go straight to the station every day for two semesters. So it was, it was a little crazy, um, but my start was a little unconventional. At the same time, I felt very lucky to have been given that opportunity at that point. Um, so I worked in Columbia at that station for about four and a half years in total. Uh, graduated from South Carolina, stayed there for about another year, still working in that market, which was great. I was exposed to SEC football really early, of course, covering South Carolina. When I was there, they were pretty good. It was the Spurrier, Jadavian Clowney year, so um, it was pretty cool to be able to be there for that. And It was right when Clemson was starting to get good as well. And Then after Columbia, I went down to Jacksonville, Florida, worked at another local station down there, mostly covering the Jags and Florida, Florida State High School football and did that for about two and a half years before somebody from the SEC network reached out and said, hey, we, we might have an opening. Are you interested? And I was like, heck yeah, I'm interested. This is a dream job for me. So um, it, it was cool because I was just telling someone this story the other day. One of the classes I actually took at South Carolina uh, in school was called How to Produce Live Sporting Events for the SEC Network. And it was right when the network was launching and they were really trying to get student involvement as far as the game production and getting people to go out there and run cable and run cameras and things like that. So that's actually one of the classes that I took, I think, in the summer semester was how to how to work for the SEC network. And, and now I get to call the SEC network home, which is, is really wow. cool for me. But um, I will always have a soft spot in my heart for the local TV folks because I know that grind, and it is tough, so uh, that's that's how I got my start. Man, I'm really, really pissed at my, my college advisor because we did not have that class at Georgia <laughs> College and State University. <laughs> um, so, no, Alyssa, I, my family has lived in Columbia, uh, South Carolina, since around 2003, 2004. You obviously graduated way more recently from, from the 803, but what changes have you seen in the athletic department over the last few years or decade or so that make you believe – the Gamecocks are turning the corner as a program, and also, why do you hate Dabo Sweeney as much as I do? <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say, and, and Gamecock fans probably will not be happy with this answer, but I, I don't hate Dabo at all. With, with working in Columbia, I, I got to cover a lot of Clemson. I got to cover a lot of South Carolina, and I honestly was afraid that if viewers knew that I was a Gamecock grad, that if they were Clemson people, whatever, they would just turn me off. Like, they just would not yep. listen to me. So I really tried to – I was probably overly cautious about making sure none of my stuff was leaning towards the Gamecocks, none of my stuff was, you know, slamming Clemson or anything like that. And I was a little bit crazy about it, but I, I got to interact with Dabo several times throughout my time there. He would do a 
media golf tournament every year, and he was always so kind to me, and his wife is so sweet. So I, I, I kind of hate that I can't do the South Carolina thing and be like, <laughs> oh, boo, dabbo, but he was always really great to me. Uh, as, as far as South Carolina goes, I mean, like I said, when I was there, it was really when it felt like they were turning the corner for the first time in a long time. When it came to the football department, at least, the football side of things, uh, when Spurrier was there, obviously, I say Gamecock fans kind of got a little uh, spoiled with the 11-win seasons, and then we all know what happened when he left, and, and things went downhill a little bit. But I, I remember being in Columbia when Will Muschamp was hired. I actually left for Jacksonville, I think, a month or two later. And at first I remember being like, oh, man, they just – found this guy and he's not going to be the guy for the job. I don't think this is a great fit. You see the track record. I don't know. The more I've gotten to know Coach Muschamp, the more I think he is the best possible fit for South Carolina. And I think he's the best option out there right now. And, you know, there's no secret when you're losing, your fans want the coaches gone. They want some sort of change. And I see it on Twitter that, oh, you know, the way they started the season was awful and it's got to start at the top. But I'm always like, who's out there right now who's going to be better for you than Will Muschamp? I think it's a great, great hire. I think it's a great fit. It's just obviously going to be a challenge. You're recruiting against Clemson, who's the best of the best right now. You're recruiting against the Georgias, the Alabamas, the whole Southeastern Conference trying to recruit is tough. We know that, but they've been able to get some talent in there as of recently. I think this past year was obviously a really up-and-down year, but you've seen flashes, which is obviously – important and you know you want to see progress and and hopefully they'll be able to show a little bit more of that this year overall though i mean south carolina is a great school to be at if you want to talk about great sports frank martin is always doing something with the boys on the basketball court i mean you never know night in or night (laughs) out are they going to upset somebody they might lay an egg but then they might go beat kentucky you never know um so it's always exciting and then it, it goes without saying what don staley has done uh, like I said before, I, I was sort of there when Don was really starting to get this thing going. I, I was there when Asia Wilson signed as a high schooler to play for the Gamecocks. I remember being at her signing ceremony at Heathwood Hall, uh, the high school that she went to, and yeah. being like, all right, this feels different. Like, this feels like something special. So uh, it's been really cool to see that rise and then you know south carolina baseball i think is pretty respected as well i'm really excited to see what they do this year i have a very 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 special place in my heart for college baseball i'm excited for that too connor that eastwood hall is a big big hammond rival just so you know big big skyhawks (laughs) rival marler was a was once upon a time marler what did you coach like eighth grade jv football at hammond yeah middle school defensive coordinator at uh at hammond (laughs) high school back in the day I spent so most, a lot of time. time at Hammond for uh, for some Friday night football games, that's for sure. <laughs> I hear you. So, uh, Alyssa, we asked this to our guy Dari last year because neither of us really deal with this on a regular basis in terms of the on-air stuff, um, at least not in the way that, that you do. But have you had a moment when that red light has come up and you've either completely blanked on what a coach just told you or you had nothing to say? Oh, absolutely. Um, It actually happened once this year while I was on the sidelines for a football game. (laughs) Um, I worked with Matt Stinchcomb and Taylor Zarzer this year, and they became my big brothers so fast. It was the first year I met them. They're fantastic. Um, And at one point, I think there was just a miscommunication between the truck and 
whoever was pushing the buttons back there. And I heard Taylor say, all right, let's go down to Alyssa. And I'm like, well, I don't have anything to report. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know what you want me to say, but I, I did kind of learn the hard way. And I, I credit this back to local TV is even if I don't have something to say, I always make sure I have something to say, whether it is, you know, super relevant to that moment or just sort of a conversation starter. So that was one time where I remember kind of feeling that panic and just sort of coming up with something in the moment that I was seeing on the field or something like that. Thankfully, there hasn't been a moment where I've just like completely blanked and it's been quiet. But now that you guys have said that, I'm sure it will happen tomorrow or something like that. So <laughs> All you, right. So you, if you it happens, call me back and I'll tell you how it goes. <laughs> If it happens, boom goes the dynamite is the way to go. Always, yeah. 100% oh, exactly. of the time, for sure. That has to be it, yes. Um, so who is either your best sideline interview that you've had at SEC Network or, if you'd rather, your most awkward sideline interview? Um, Man, I don't think I've had too many that I would consider awkward. Uh, I have to think about that one. I know the we one I was list. most... Yeah, well, I, yeah, there were definitely some, some that I was nervous about this year, that's for sure, because this was my first full year on SEC football. It was my second year with the company, but I, I didn't have a full package, what they called it, my first year. And I will say, when I saw that I was going to Alabama week two, I was like, oh, God, I got to interview Coach Saban. Oh, God, what if he hates me? What if I stumble? Like, I was really thinking about it for about two weeks like how am I going to approach this what am I going to do and it ended up being probably one of my favorite moments of the season because once you sort of get past the fact that you know Nick Saban is all about business and he you know he he doesn't necessarily give media reporters an easy way out when you know he doesn't like the question or he thinks the question is silly but if, if you can get past that and realize that he just wants to sit there and talk ball with you, it's awesome. I mean, I remember being in our meetings before that game on Friday, and, again, working with Matt Stinchcomb is great because the coaches know him, the players know him, they have respect for him. He knows so much about the game. Listening to the two of them go back and forth and talk about all things football, we're talking formations, plays, who needs to do what, looking at the other side – diagnosing things from other teams it's it's fascinating hearing him talk about it he knows so much he's he's got so much and every time I talk to him I learn something so that was one that I was like going into it kind of thinking it was going to be awkward but coming away from it it was really cool it was a really cool experience my one of my favorite interviews though I will say is is Frank Martin on the basketball side Whenever I have him in studio, uh, he remembers me from working in Columbia, which is really cool. We have a pretty good relationship. He knows I'm a Gamecock. So he does not ever hesitate to just give me grief on the air, but I'm so okay with it. <laughs> Frank is great. Frank is fantastic. So I think last year we actually were in – we were at headquarters in Charlotte, uh, and you were – I think it was like the last week in September – and I think you were in the swamp, and it was like a torrential downpour for the Florida Towson game. Um, <laughs> that being said, where is your favorite place to cover a game, or what's a place you've always wanted to go cover a game? I will say, now that you brought up that game, I remember Dan Mullen being very unhappy at halftime, and we had a very quick halftime interview, but I forgot about that one until just now. I remember that. Um, being at the Swamp was really cool. Um, I hadn't obviously sidelined a game at the Swamp before, and it was just like, wow, there's a 
there's a lot of history and a lot of talented people have played on this field. Uh, we were out in Arkansas a couple of times, and, I mean, everybody knows Arkansas had a really, really tough year this year, but I kind of developed this friendship slash love with Tusk, uh, the Razorback mascot <laughs> that they have on the field, and, and Tusk and I are really great friends now. We're, we're very close. Um, I haven't been to Baton Rouge for a football game yet, and I have not been to Athens yet. So I'm hoping <gasps> that next year I can do a game uh, in Death Valley and then, of course, down in Georgia because those are the two that I'm like, oh, I know these are going to be so good. But every venue really has its own really cool aspect, its own special thing about it, and I love learning more about what game day is like for each of the you know fans in the SEC, just the traditions and things like that. Because working locally, I've only really gotten into the communities with the South Carolinas, you know, the Clemsons, the Floridas, the Florida States. But learning about like what's Kentucky football like, what's Arkansas football like, what's right. what are Vanderbilt fans doing at their games? It, it's really cool for me to just really be able to see that from a, a fresh perspective, I guess. But I'm, I'm definitely hoping to get to LSU next year, that's for sure. The two places that you mentioned are the two places that we, we got to go this past year, and they are absolutely bucket lists. And if you get to meet Ugga after yeah. I was uh, so close to meeting Ugga and then not able to, I, oh, I, I'm no. going to need to know about this experience because I that's like <laughs> the one thing I would love to do in, in college football. Yeah, I definitely did like a Matt Live Math Dot tour this year. I mean, I found Smokey like immediately as soon as I yeah. walked into the stadium in Knoxville. And then obviously at Mississippi State, there's the cutest bulldog in all the land. No offense, Ugga. They're Ooh. both I, they're Whoa. both super cute. Like that. They're both Dang. super cute, but I haven't met Ugga. I haven't met Ugga, so I don't know. As a right now, bully is the top of my list for cuteness. <laughs> Um, so I've always thought that, and, and I'm sure a lot of people listening kind of, you know, don't really know what goes into this, but if I was a woman on television in the Twitter age, I would just never check my mentions. How do you handle all the crap that comes with that? Um, I actually, like, probably a month ago, turned off my Twitter notifications, and it was the best thing I've right. ever done in my entire yep. life. <laughs> I used to wake up with <laughs> just notifications about anybody who tweeted at me or anyone who sent me a DM, and now I don't see them unless I open the app and go look at them. But, I mean, for the most part, everybody knows what social media is. What social media is. No matter who you are, you're open to people saying whatever they want to say about you and directing whatever they want to say. Um, I, I've gotten used to that. I think it, it's never something that you're just okay with, obviously. There's always a tweet every now and again that is like, okay, back to reality. You know, it's not like everybody loves watching me on television or whatever it is. But um, I, I really work to make sure that I keep a pe group of people around me who, you know, I can say, hey, I got this tweet today and it's really kind of shaking me and I wish it wasn't. And Thankfully, the people I have around me are, are really good about reminding me that those people don't know you. Those people might just be saying something to incite a reaction. But um, I know it upsets me the most when I see the fellow female coworkers that I have when they yeah. get those mean messages. That's when I get the most upset. It's like, you know, you can send them to me all day, but when when it's my friends and my coworkers getting them, even, you know, not just females, but when people tweet at Peter or Dari, too, I feel like I get defensive over them because you see 
the work ethic, you see the kind of time they put in, you see how good they are at their job. And for somebody to maybe make a snap judgment, whether it's about appearance or your voice is annoying or I hate watching you on TV, it's just like it's not hard to be nice. And it's sort of just like, well, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And unfortunately, that's not how Twitter operates. But it's definitely an ebb and flow of reminding yourself that it's not Twitter. Twitter isn't where your value is. That's not, you know, for every one person who's saying something mean. Usually, in my experience, there's four people who are saying, that was a great show today, or, you know, we really enjoyed that piece. And, and those are the tweets, those are the comments, those are the people that I try to really focus on and remember that, you know, it's it's not all bad out there, but it's it's definitely not going away anytime soon, that's for sure. Okay, well, let's let's get something uh, we can all be on board with that's not divisive and people can all agree on, and that's politics. <laughs> so it's President's Day. If you were to vote one SEC coach for POTUS, President of the United States, who would it be and why? And why is it Nick Saban? <laughs> this is a great question. I was going to say, I feel Thank like you. I can't say Nick Saban because I feel like Nick oh. Saban's the obvious choice. You know, like I feel like it's, Oh, well, he wins all the championships all the time, and he's the guy, like, you know, he he's not going to take any crap from anybody. He would be great. I feel like I would want Nick Saban as, like, the vice president, like the voice of Ooh. reason for somebody. Um, My, like, fun, let's just, you know, do whatever oh, would be Lane Kiffin, because I feel like that would be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine Kiffin tweeting from the POTUS account? Awesome. Yes, I can. I... It would be awesome. <laughs> oh, man. That's a good I answer. Really, it can't be Muschamp. Really... He can't have the codes, those nukes. Yeah, this is true. Oh, God. Could you imagine? I mean, bring no. a whole new meaning to the word boom. I mean, seriously, that would be <laughs> awful. Oh, man. Maybe, like, maybe Coach O. I feel like he's a good balance of, you know, relatable, but also really smart. And he knows what he's doing, and he's goal-oriented, but also, like, you know, he wants to go to Taco Bell after the game. Well, I will say, like, yeah. probably our best interview this year was when Coach O told us on Thinking Out Loud that if he were an item from Taco Bell, he would be a burrito supreme. And he, like, literally yeah. he had to think 0.5 seconds about his answer. I mean, he had it ready <laughs> to go. So I feel like he's probably the most relatable with the American people, so I'll go Coach O. I'm going <laughs> Coach O. That State of the Union address would be lit. And Saban yes. as VP. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That, yeah, that country's not losing anything. Um, no, I, never, speaking of, never. So speaking of Coach O, I saw last week that you made the trip to Baton Rouge. You got to meet Mike the Tiger for the first time, or at least kind of see him from afar. You don't really get to like get up close to, to Mike, obviously. But you also got to report on LSU Hoops up close. I, I think a lot of people are still trying to figure out what exactly LSU Hoops is going to be in March. What do you think the potential of this team is? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I know when we were doing that game, they were coming off of two straight losses, Vanderbilt and Auburn. So it was sort of like, okay, we're going to learn a lot about this team by the way they play Missouri tonight. And the way they played Missouri in that game was awful. I mean, they did not look good at all. Um, I talked to Skylar Mays after their shoot-around before the game. He's obviously their leader on the team. He's such a great kid on and off the court. I mean, just sitting there talking to him, you can tell immediately just how intelligent he is, how much he cares about the game, about his teammates. And, and I was asking him, you know, like, what do you say to a team that 
obviously is so full of talent. There, there's no lack of talent, but you guys just haven't really been able to put it together the way you want to. And one of the things that stood out to me and what he said was, you know, we haven't even liked the way we've been winning games. I mean, we've had these, you know, double-digit leads, 15-point leads, and we give them up and we play down to whoever we're playing. We're, we don't like the way we're winning, and it bit us in the butt talking about those two losses. He said, you know, we're really confident in what we're able to do. It's just a matter of, you know, sounds simple, but we have to execute. And then we see them play Missouri that night, and and it looked like kind of more of the same, just not great. They let Missouri get up on them pretty early. They hardly played any defense, at least in the first half, especially after a slow start. So in my head, I was kind of like, man, this, this LSU team is, in trouble. I mean, we thought they were going to be really good. They've been really good, and now it just seems like they're slamming on the brakes. But the more I saw that game, the more we saw from the second half, it was a totally different team that came out there. And I'm not even talking about the way they played, but just the effort they put in, the physicality we saw in the second half. And then it's kind of like, well, that's what you want from a team that you want to see make a deep postseason run is just can they be scrappy? Can they come back and win? Can they force these down-to-the-wire situations after being down? And that's what this LSU team is. It's kind of like, man, is the luck dried up yet? Do they have any more luck? But they seem to get lucky night in and night out. So I think this is a team that isn't dead by any means. Obviously, we know anything can happen when it comes to the SEC tournament, but it's a really talented team. It's just a matter of putting it together. They have to figure it out. And then obviously, you know, this past Saturday, dropping another one, it's it's tough. Um, but when you have that many talented pieces on one team, I, I'm sure it gets to a point where it can be hard to make sure everything is gelling and, and you know, has chemistry and everything like that. I, I do believe, though, that this team can do it down the stretch and obviously – we know that you get a little bit more confidence, you get a little bit more uh, juju, if you will, when you're going into that tournament time. So um, I, I'm not counting them out for sure, not not anytime soon. All right, I'm sorry, right, LSU we're... Final Four, definitely. Marler, we're, we're going we're gonna to book it <laughs> See, now. See, LSU Final okay, Four? Okay, don't cite me on yeah. that. Don't cite me on that. I'm not quite – I, I won't, I won't because I watched that game this weekend and it did not, did not look like a Final Four team. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. no, no. Um, okay, we're gonna get you out of here. We had a we had a couple other questions about CrossFit. We're gonna hold on to those for Ooh. next time. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Well, so I was I was and I was I, I had it in the actual doc for our questions, but then you did the whole thing about how Twitter is a, just a bastion of negativity, and I was like, I'm gonna take this question out about CrossFit and we'll save it. So so we're gonna get you out of the two minute drill, um, and it's basically so it's a rapid fire uh, first thing that comes to your mind kind of question-answer type game. I don't want to put any pressure on you, but we've oh, played this with almost... Taker, so this is not great. Oh, no, you're fine. This kidding. is literally just a knee-jerk reaction. Um, okay. But I, I will say, we've had we've played this game with, with like, 90% of your entire coworkers, like, in, that, in the staff at SD Network. So there's a lot to live up to here. This is true. Who who gave the best it's, answers before we start? Tom Hart. This is a hands-down yeah. Tom oh, Hart. Oh, yeah, that's he's not surprising at all. Yeah, yeah, he's great. He's, um, I mean, he, he added just way too much. Yeah, so, I mean, like, I'm, we're still, the top three is where you want to be. Just make sure you or you finish ahead of Cole Kublik, which he's a great guy. Um, One-word answers is just not his thing. So you yeah. can, you oh, can God, definitely no. shoot above that. No, Cole yeah. needs to talk. Cole you, needs to get these words in. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Are you ready to play? I'm ready. I'm ready. 
All right, I cannot stress you enough. I really wish they weren't cutting the grass right next to my apartment right now, but I can't stress to you enough how important this first question is. Let's put two minutes on the clock, Connor. Here we go. First question. If you were a character on The Office, who would you be and why? Oh, man. Uh, Michael Scott, because he could do literally anything he wants. Okay. Okay. Very good answer. Very good answer. What is your favorite GIF or GIF, however you want to pronounce it? Oh, my favorite GIF is pro- I don't know. Is it a GIF? Is it the one with the little girl like looking deviously into the camera with the house exploding behind the fire. her? Is that a meme or Beautiful a Beautiful answer. That's either way. I love it. it. I love it. I'm going with um, it. Okay. I will ask this question. You like CrossFit. Why? Um, It's the closest thing I've ever found to playing a team sport. That's why I love it. Okay. Okay. Go to Starbucks, Starbucks order. Uh, triple espresso on ice with milk. I'm a, I, Very I know good I'm answer. Okay. Person. No, that's fine. I usually go quad in the morning. I'll be honest with you. Uh, okay. Favorite Girl Scout cookie? Samoa's. Yes. God, you're on fire right now. Bucketless concert. Um. Oh gosh. Nickelback. Don't say Florida. Just so I can say. What? I'm... What? No. Yeah. I've already yeah. seen Nickelback live. That plays, Connor. Here we go. Heck yeah, bro. Um. <laughs> all right we're at the halfway point heck yeah brother better hair laura rutledge or jordan rogers oh laura hands down yeah i hope jordan hears take that jordan too. yeah take that jordan so jordan has not been on our show we'll, we'll talk about that some other time um went to, i know you went to the world cup this summer what is your yeah. bucket list sporting event you still have uh super bowl haven't been to a super bowl Okay. All right. Like that. Um, best bar or restaurant, say bar, in Columbia, South Carolina? Ooh, uh, bourbon. Bar, restaurant, Ooh. both. Bourbon. I'm too old to even know what that is. I just thought I was going to say anything but Sharkies. I don't even know if that was around when you were there. It's newish. Um, oh, I was going to stay out of five points. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Um, better day of the week, Taco Tuesday or Sunday Funday? Mm, Sunday Funday. Okay. Love it. Go to karaoke song. Sweet Caroline. Oh, Good one. If you would have said share, we would have shut down the game right now. Um, <laughs> who wins the SEC basketball and SEC football championship in 2020? Final question. Oh, man. Uh, SEC football. Let's go curveball, Florida. Uh, basketball Ooh. will go Auburn. You had so many points, Alyssa. You had so many points. You were you were honestly all you had to say was Alabama for one of those last two. Nope, no, you're fine. And you would have you would have you honestly want to beat Tom Hart, but just the score is plummeting. I'm trying to add it up right now. I'm so trying to like be the stock market a couple weeks ago. I'm trying to make it interesting and also legitimate. I'm I'm gonna say 269 points. I wow. I just and I'm gonna give you that. It's just second nice. place all time. And I'll tell you what saved it is when you said Nickelback and then said Heck yes, brother. I mean that that oof, man. I hear you. I hear you. I get grief on twitter because i think it was like six months ago i tweeted that people who say they hate nickelback are lying and i will refuse to believe anything else because nickelback is not bad and i hated this movement about hating on nickelback so i, I had to go nickelback had to That's glad mean, i have you didn't have to but you did <laughs> i tell you what man if we had if we were doing this thing live we would definitely be saying look at this photograph and getting a selfie right That's now so 269 right. points killed it Alyssa. <laughs> Thank you. I'll try that my best. Really, really good. 
Well, Alyssa, we know you have a, a lot to deal with this week, basically covering like six different SEC sports. So we appreciate the time. We're going to have to do this again really, really soon. And hopefully after you're able to meet with Ugga for the first time, you can kind of let us know how it goes, how good of a pet he is, how he compares to bully. I need to know these things. So can you, next time we have you on, we'll come back and we'll ask the, the hard hitting questions. Sound good? Yes, I'll be back for Battle of the Cutest Bulldog. I accept this challenge. <laughs> Sounds good. Awesome. Appreciate it, Alyssa. Thanks, guys. Take care. Appreciate Alyssa for coming on, joining us. I didn't we didn't get to anything Texas Pete related, but I'm assuming Alyssa likes Texas Pete. Who doesn't like Texas Pete? Connor, I had a I had a very awkward moment this weekend. Oh boy. And uh, you know, I think now that I'm obviously famous worldwide, mm-hmm. um, like Pitbull, have... yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I think I think if there's anything you know about me, it's that people would call me the Pitbull of Alabama or the Pitbull of SEC football, and that's really what I want to be known as from now on moving forward is the Pitbull of SEC football. Um, this week, somebody who knows me for other things on the internet, and I can't remember her name, so I apologize, but she tagged me in this video that I didn't know Chris Marler had a son. And it's a picture, or it's a video of a guy chugging a bottle of Texas Pete. That's so that wanna, might not be a son. That might be like a brother, illegitimate uh, son. College oh. was a hazy, hazy time for me, Connor. Just I gotta let you know. Okay, we don't have to talk about it right now, guys. But I'm just saying there could be some little Marlers running around. Who knows? Regardless, if you're a Marler or not, I want to issue a a challenge uh, to people moving forward. If you chug a bottle of Texas Pete, you can come on to this this podcast for an interview. I haven't I haven't run this by Connor yet. You are opening the floodgates, my friend. Yeah, and I want you to open the floodgates to your taste buds in Texas Pete. And uh, listen, send us a video of you chugging a bottle of Texas Pete. Oh boy! Um, and if you do so, at your we'll own bring risk. you on the podcast at your own risk and at your at your the own risk of your bathroom. But regardless, go get yourself some Texas Pete. Like it's it's. It's a great time for this season. We're about to be in springtime. We're about to be grilling out again. You guys know that it's like the official hot sauce of my wedding diet. It's been going fantastically. Um, you know, put it on everything. But I, again, I want to say, if you can chug a bottle of Texas Pete, you can come on the podcast. So make sure you're sending us the videos with the hashtag sauce and chug like you mean it. Uh, and send that to either... Burn Funquest, CJ O'Gara, SDS, whatever, uh, and we'll move on from there. But yeah, make sure you go out and get a bottle of Texas Pete. We hit, go ahead. Why? Why is it that Texas Pete comes out faster? This isn't just Texas Pete. This oh, is all man, hot gross. sauce. No, no, no. Why is it that it comes out faster when the bottle is near empty than when it's full? God, that's a really good question. And I tell you what, man, there's a lot of things I think that I have a irrational fear of. Like we talk about spiders commitment all sorts of things but running out of texas pete is also one of those things and like you you just saying the bottom of the bottle or like the the end of the bottle of texas well, you pete got another bottle sitting on hand but you know you gotta finish off the one you have four we have four that i've continuously bought from Publix, and and ali's like hey just want to remind you once again still haven't run out of the other bottle that we already had and bought a backup for so we just have like where we used to have since we're trying to do dry february after dry january where our wine and and liquor used to be like our little dry bar texas pete it's yeah. just texas pete that's just where we are now so regardless uh i don't if if loving texas pete is wrong i don't want to be right but i will say let's get into some fourth and wrong questions this week we've got a new thing we're going to start doing with, with uh with fourth and wrong questions and that is um at the advisement um 
of our good buddy Jay Woody. Uh, and we're going to start doing some themes to the fourth and wrong questions. That way we can kind of prevent some of the same questions that we usually get and, and kind of branch out a little bit and, and get the creativity flowing. This week's theme is music. So um, let's get into the fourth and wrong questions. The first question is from Justin Lonazak. Uh, in talks of opinion, who's the most underrated rapper or singer? Go. I'm going to catch some heat for this. I think John Party should be mainstream. I think he's that good. I think John Party I mean, John should be. John Party is. Exactly. This there is you go. Is a country thing? Yes, it's a country thing. Of course, it's a country thing. Marler, come on. <laughs> looks like such an idiot. <laughs> John Party has a sound that I don't care who you are. If I was telling somebody, hey, if you think you don't like country music at all or whatever current country is, whatever that genre falls into, go listen to John Party. I think he is yeah. mainstream, just easy, like sing-along type stuff. I can listen to that CD all day. But he is not necessarily big time in the way that obviously, you know, a Tim McGraw is or a Kenny Chesney or you know, even, <laughs> even like a Chris Ableton, like somebody who has gained a lot of popularity and has risen a lot in the last yeah. three or four years or so. But I love me some John Party, man. I think he's really, really talented. Um. Yeah. All right. Sure. John Party sounds great. He looks like he's an extra. Um, don't hate. Uh, he looks like an extra from the first season of True Detective. If you don't know who John Party is, I'll say that. Uh, for me, most underrated. I'm not gonna say rapper. Um, because the answer is Cisco, and I don't care what anyone says. Unleash the Dragon's a banger from top to bottom. Go get the album right now. So it's lot of pitch perfect when he's like, "Thawne songs not his only hit. He's got some good it's songs." It's not, and I don't care. Like who? I don't know. I didn't know that's a line. I will maintain to the day I die that listen, Unleash the Dragon. There's at least three other songs, and I, I'm I'm like halfway. He's not one of the most underrated rappers of all time. That part is a joke. <laughs> But that album is a banger for what it was at that time and what it could be now as like, I'm telling you right now, man, uh, You Are Everything remix. Go look up the Cisco You Are Everything remix with Ja Rule and Drew Hill. <sighs> be more. Oh, you're anyway. talking about underrated. How about Ja Rule, man? That is. Uh, no, he's overrated at best. He tried to whoa. ruin everyone's life at the Firefest. I will, okay, here. So if you don't like John Party and you like actual country music, underrated Clay Walker. Clay Walker's fantastic. What's it to you? Fantastic song. Do you even know who I'm talking Listen about? Listen to John Party and tell me he's not actual country music. Seriously. He, he, okay. is, he, looks, he looks like he's I'm not saying what he be, looks like. I'm not saying what he looks like. He, he looks like he's on an NCIS uh, or like a CSI country. Like he, it's like it's like a man. You, he looks like in the same way it's like CSI New Orleans. And the guy's like, welcome into New Orleans. That, that's what he looks like as a country music singer. Hater. Hater. Without a doubt. Okay, and I will say this. This is my actual answer after the, all the stuff I've said. The most underrated singer and solo artist of all time. Sure. This is not up for debate. No. This is not up for debate. I stand by this. Out of all the things I say that's a joke, this is something I'm very serious about. I say Whoa. this once a week. I hate the Eagles. I think they're so overrated. Don Henley is the most underrated solo artist in American music history. Don Henley. There you go. Fire take. Second, second, uh, second question. You've already blown it because i think you would have your first answer would have sufficed on this one people have heard of john party come on <laughs> favorite band or artist that no one has heard of this is from matthew sedro all right well i guess i've already answered so you go ahead um favorite so i think by now a lot of you i mean you guys better have already listened to churches or i'll fight you with a v um the naked and famous i feel like don't get enough love as they should um, Cisco. 1975, Cisco, dude, I'm telling you, Cisco, no, damn it, no, <laughs> now it's in my head. Um, the 1975, I think, is a, it's a band that's, that's got enough play now to where they shouldn't be, 
Um, underrated. I, I, I think I think that that's a oh man. I, those guys are really good. If you want something like a little bit more old school, go listen to State Radio. State Radio is, is fantastic. Uh, they've got a lot of good stuff. Minus the Bear is another one that's really good. I can go on and on about this stuff. I can uh, tell. It's like one of my favorite topics of all time we've ever had. So um, yeah, so go check, dude. State Radio especially. Um, they, they were they were fantastic. So check all those out. Let's see here. Uh, what's the best concert you've ever been to? It's from Eric Beasley. Tell us about Chris Stapleton. I mean, I wasn't going to say... No, I was going to say Chris Stapleton. Who are we kidding? Of course I was going to say Chris Stapleton. I saw Eric Church and Chris Stapleton together, and that was pretty good. That was pretty good. saw Billy Currington and Chris Stapleton together at Daytona last year. You're going to hate on Billy Currington, too. That's fine. Easy (laughs) listening, too. Easy listening. That's that's what I'm about. I like my easy listening. Um, That was a really good show. I saw Beyonce and Jay-Z. That was a different level good. Um, But that was tough because... We, it was at the Citrus Bowl, and our seats were you know 300 level. We paid like yeah. 60 bucks for 300 level seats, which is like Crazy. not that much to see uh, to see Beyonce and Jay Z. Who Jay Z is? I'm not like a big Jay Z guy. Really, really talented in person. Like really, yeah. really good, high energy type guy. That I didn't I didn't necessarily always get that vibe from him. And I grew up listening to to Jay Z. Like I, I grew up you know like listening to like Big Pimp and Hard Knock Life. Like. Yeah, I, I'm not kidding. When I was eight years old, I was saying probably too many words that I, I should not have. We can thank my you cousin were like for that. Eight figure jigger yeah. by the name of Jigga. Yeah, um, like better words. All those things. Um, but I, I would say probably a Chris Stapleton concert to me is just that. That that's what I like being able to listen to because you can just kind of sit back and relax, and you can take in somebody who is like just off the charts good at what he does and to me if i'm going to pay money for a concert i want to hear somebody that doesn't just get drowned out by whatever you know soundtrack is going in the back like yeah i saw madonna at the super bowl but you couldn't hear anything madonna was doing because it's all the the stuff in the background and the effects and stuff like that just didn't really do it for me so yeah whatever chris stapleton sorry I'm, i'm basic um this is i so i wrote down 78 answers for this one nice um Nickelback, dude. Nickelback as a concert itself for 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 literally just for the people watching was hilarious. And going with all my friends, with ironically, tank tops that said, "Look at this brodograph," and we ended up getting on Daughtry's Instagram page and all this other stuff. Made a big whole show of it because we had some social media famous people there with us. It was a lot of fun. Um, Wait, let me oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's let's not just gloss over that. You're making fun of me for John Party, yet you who, once... I don't even know who John you, Party is. You once went to a Nickelback concert, yeah. ironically. I put that in air quotes. Meanwhile, I'm you're about just to like put you banging shame your head. All of these and music so, things here. After the, in this concert in which you wear mm-hmm. a shirt that says, look at this brodograph that you are right. wearing, again, ironically, you show up on Daughtry's Instagram page. Yeah. And that we is famous your, that night. And there is nothing embarrassing about anything oh, that was just said there. No, because we we meant it to be funny. Like just it's different if like it's a prank. you were just watching like now that's what I call Nashville radio like music whatever it is like volume thirteen. That's different, Connor. Um, okay, best concerts. Let me put you to shame here. Uh, the bad ones to start with that are also sound good. I saw Merle Haggard one time. That uh-huh. audience was outrageous. I think I got tetanus just from the air. Uh, Katy Perry was pretty cool. I don't care who thinks anything negative about that. TLC and Nelly together, outstanding concert. Nelly and Tim McGraw, greatest song of all time, right? The worst song of all time. (laughs) Saw Nelly and Snoop Dogg on my birthday as well. Uh, Justin Timberlake, that was an outstanding uh, concert. I saw Childish Gambino and got to go backstage and meet him, which was pretty awesome since he's from Stone Mountains. Sick Uh, Donald Glover. 
Outcast, I missed the night that uh, Outcast opened with, uh, with with Gambino. I went the Sunday night and, and saw them perform with Goody Mob, which is pretty awesome, in the heart of Atlanta at uh, Centennial Olympic Park. The thing I'll say about that concert, which was awesome, it was an hour and a half concert. They did the same show apparently all three nights with some people like at the time were like, this sucks, blah, blah, blah. Outcast opened their concert with B.O.B., like with Bombs Over Baghdad, not the, the rapper B.O.B. And that was to open up with like, 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 it, just imagine like all the lights go out. You just hear one, two, one, two, three. Yeah. And then like they just go off for like five and a half minutes. And then to have to match that energy level for the rest of the whole show is incredible to me. Um, saw the Rolling Stones with No Doubt, which No Doubt at the time wasn't what? just Gwen Stefani. So that was pretty cool. That was also one of the greatest days of my life because that was like October 26, 2002. I've told about it before. It was like the first, I got like a handwritten letter from Tim Corbin at Vanderbilt that day. We, we, Bama beat Tennessee for the first time in seven years that day. And then we got to see the Stones like that night, which at the time we thought was the last tour they're going to go on. And because my dad's a huge Stones fan, turns out, you know, they're, they're going another one this summer. Yep. <laughs> so um, that's a whole thing. Saw Tom Petty and, and Crosby, Stills, and Nash open for him. What about Young? Cool. No Young? No, he was not at that one. I've seen I've seen them with Young before at, uh, at Chastain. Uh, I've seen Crosby, Stills, and Nash like three or four times. But the Tom Petty one was pretty cool with uh, with Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And I hate to say this, but but honestly, Bonnaroo, I went in 2008, and we got to work the festival. You so, would. like, I got in for free. Actually, I, got, I made money that weekend. I got paid to go um, work, like, security or whatever. But, like, just the, the sheer amount of, since we already had, like, a pretty sick setup because we didn't have to camp. We didn't have to use the public restrooms, all that kind of stuff. We had a great setup with that. The fact, just the, the volume of people you could see. I saw Metallica, my morning jacket. Uh, Pearl Jam, BB King, Kanye. It was that was pretty cool just to see all those guys. Oh, and then I saw uh, Skinnerd uh, on the quad in Alabama, two thousand two. That was pretty cool. So best concert you you'll notice that all wasn't plural. All right, all of them. All of them. Um, easiest song to get stuck in. Well, the the Skinnerd one sucked uh, a lot because my dad forgot tickets at home. We'd leave. Mm. Last one. Easiest song to get stuck in your head. James O'Quinn. Um. Thong song probably, um, either that or I'm gonna say Mbop by Hanson, all time hit. Um, I hate this question so much. Let's see, we could probably go Backstreet Boys. I want it that way. That does. I that, wish like, that song gets stuck in my head more that's, often. That song's a banger. Um, no, I, I think that I'm, I'm like breaking up into genres too much. Hmm. What's an answer that would really upset you? Margaritaville. Um, <laughs> Hate Jimmy Buffett. Uh, Cruise by Florida Georgia Line. And Cruise! You know Jimmy Buffett is Mike Leach's favorite artist. Yeah, that seems about right. He's a pirate pirate head. Is that what they call him? Pirate heads. I can't wait to see our our mentions and people get mad about saying pirate instead of parrot head. Watch me never apologize for that. I'll tell you mine. Um, I've had Reliant K be my escape uh, Mm. in my head for the last four days. It's been um, not too bad. Almost a little bit unbearable. Um... Tony Braxton, Unbreak My Heart. They used to get stuck in my head a lot when I was like 10. I don't know why. That doesn't make um, sense, yeah. The, well, Stella Got Her Groove Back. That was a big big album uh, for me growing up with my single single mom. Um, that's all I'll say now. That's all I'll say because I know we got to get out of here. Okay, that was uh, that was good. I'm sure can, we... Can we give one shout out real quick? Let's do it. Or do you want me to wait to the end? We're not going to read a five-star review this week, but I just want to I wanna sincerely apologize to everyone um, who's ever taken uh, the stuff about the moon landings. Um, overly serious we got we got a one-star review this week and i just from the bottom of my heart 
I know that we've never said the, the earth is flat, but I know that one person thinks that we did. And to that person, I know we lost you as a listener, but I hope we didn't lose you as a friend because uh, I never meant to hurt you this much. And I hope if there's a Tony Braxton song I can send to you to apologize, you let me know what it is, man. Crap, and I referenced Kyrie this episode too. I love the fact that we get this one-star review. If you haven't seen it, go look at it. It says, the football content's good, which is what we're here for because we're a football podcast. But I will not stand for the, the flat earth thing, which we never said, or to say the moon landings were fake. And guys, here's the thing. you got to stand for something. It's true. This is true. Apparently, you got to stand for fake Twitter accounts as well. Um, it might mean too much. This is low. This is low even for, for today's internet standards. Um, there was a screenshot that came via the USA Director of Player Personnel and Football Operations at USA Academy, Kenyatta Watson. Fun name, by the way. Kenyatta? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I, that's, it's like Pinata, but Kenyatta. Um, yeah. So there was an account with the name Luke Hughes with a bio basically saying that Luke Hughes was the director of player personnel and recruiting coordinator at Tennessee. The problem was there's no Luke Hughes. There was a Drew Hughes who was in that exact position at Tennessee but is now at South Carolina. Um, but the problem was this account, which is only following one person, but actually has over a thousand followers and kind of looks a little bit legit. If you were to look at it, uh, it slid into recruits DMS and said that there was this fee for a visit to campus. It was 20 bucks. It was going to cover food, transportation, all these different things said to just pay him via cash app. So now we've got people creating fake accounts on Twitter to be able to scam recruits like 16, 17 year old kids are going to try and scam a kid out of 20 bucks. That's like the the sticky Brilliant. bandits, you know, when they're go- at the ice yeah. rink and they're like trying to get pennies. Like, give me a freaking break, man. Yeah. That's sad. That's just sad. You gonna rob bucks? a kid of his candy bar money, Mav? Gosh, that wasn't the best Joe Pesci imitation I've ever heard. Well, you like jump parties, so I don't even want to hear wow. your, your, your quotes on anyone with a P last name. You're done. I see how you all t- you tied it all back in there. Um, we're going to do it. It just meant more soon. We're still figuring out what that one is going to be. Let's figure that out this week. Why don't we Let's do see that? the moon landing. Let's see the moon landing. Let's Goodness. do it. It might mean too much. Apollo 11. Wow. that's. We got into binge watching some Tom Hanks movies over the weekend. So Apollo 13. That's a, uh, have you seen McMillian Jet? I know you got to go, but have you seen McMillian Jet? Can't say I have. No. You, so you would love this because it's like people that are unhealthy and love McDonald's. Oh, why getting, would I like this? Getting, no, let's listen. Getting, getting like what's coming to them. It, it's people that rig the McDonald's monopoly thing. Oh, yeah. interesting. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. Interesting. Netflix? Like Is that Netflix? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then also Narcos came out, but I fell asleep twice trying to watch it. Yikes. Really cool for watching that show, though. I'm talking about it with Tom Hart and just pretending like I'm not even here. No big deal. It's the wrong show. It's the wrong show you're mentioning right now. Oh, it was. What was the other one? Uh, uh, Ozark. You, Ozark. You couldn't listen. I'm I get those in a bad way. You couldn't handle Ozark. It's too dark and awful, and you're too good of a person to watch it. Yeah, fair enough. It's fair like enough. I, like I mean that in the best of way. For real. It's, it's it, even for me. I was like, I gotta go shower. I'll take that compliment and run with it. Make sure if you are if you have not yet liked subscribe to all things sds please do so follow the saturday down south podcast group on facebook make sure that you are following us on twitter at the sds pod at fern funquist at cj o'gara make sure that you're following instagram so you can see all of marler's great hashtag content make sure that you're watching facebook live every monday night before marler goes into bachelor mode and then is all about we go into bachelor mode. yeah we well yeah okay but you a little bit more outwardly than i do i keep my oh, my thoughts internal but that is not that is not your thing so Peter on behalf of cisco john party anybody else what do we need to remember 
You don't want, you don't want bong song. You don't want bong song. God, it might mean too much. Talk to you guys next week. <laughs>